And you can throw some small challenges in there as long as they're realistic, as long as they're just not some crazy, you know, hiding a baby on top of the roof of the <laughs> of the house and then reprimanding them for they didn't go up on top of the, the house. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. If you do enough training evolutions, you're eventually going to come up against a trick scenario. You know, these are the ones where the instructors design something totally ridiculous into the scenario, something that would never happen in real life. They'll usually fool the firefighters doing the training, and then that allows the instructor to say something that seems wise, like, expect the unexpected. Never heard that before, huh? Sometimes the instructors simply judge a specific thing with unusual emphasis, like putting things on a stopwatch that don't belong on a stopwatch. So why shouldn't instructors use these kinds of tactics? Today's guest explains what can happen when they do, and why they don't end up with the real-world results the trainers want to see. Doug Cup is the fire chief at the Greater Eagle Fire Protection District in Colorado. His company, Doug Cup and Associates, delivers courses based on his research on critical decision making. Doug holds a master's degree in emergency management and fire and emergency services management. And Doug Cup joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Well, hello, everyone. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. So you are an advocate for realistic training. That means no trick scenarios. It also means evolutions that look like real-world events, not weird, unusual circumstances. But apparently enough instructors do this to let firefighters look for the tricks. So what's the impact of doing these gotcha scenarios? Yeah, so... I've done quite a bit of research on kind of adult learning and just how humans make decisions in high stress environments when they don't have a whole lot of time to make that decision. And so some of the research really kind of shows how the brain really loves patterns. And it's a way that we use previous experiences to get a view of what the world is, what's happening, our situational awareness is that if we've been there before, we can make some assumptions and uh, firefighters do this very well is in a very rapid scenario. They would uh, be able to make some predictions as well as make a decision on how they would proceed in mitigating the incident. So what happens if we are training to the wrong patterns? And that's where it becomes really important that if we're using our experience to get a real world view of what is occurring, uh, let's say a structure fire, and uh, we've been on that type of home before or commercial building before, we can get a real world sense of where we think the incident's going to unfold, uh, where the fire is going. We know a lot about the strategy and tactics, building construction. 
And a lot of that is not only from our training, but just experience from being on calls. We do this really well to where our brain in the subconscious will automatically be making those decisions. We don't spend a ton of time being thinking causal effects and where this could happen. It's really fast, almost where it's just in the blink of an eye that you can make an assumption of what's happening and then make a decision and put that decision into action. And so that's why the real world training comes in so important is because when we want to build those patterns to be very positive to match it to the reality of that real world. And so that impact is, is that if we are going to set up scenarios and we do not have this number one purpose of how the brain works and how we want to train, we could end up creating a pattern that a decision maker, an officer or chief officer would make a decision based on experiences that are incorrect. And so one of the worries that I have is that in many fire departments, structure fire call loads have gone down, which makes training much more important to build those repetitions. So that's really my, my biggest worry is that how we train. And it's not because, you know, training officers or training chiefs, you know, have this conscious, you know, evilness in them to say, uh, we want to trick them. I truly believe that what they're trying to do is just challenge uh, the student and the participants to be thorough, to think about all options, to be considering everything. But to the demise of the experienced firefighter, we could end up doing something that is uh, creating more issues than not. This all comes down to instructors knowing what to train as well as how to train. Is too little emphasis given to the how part of that equation? Yeah, I think the how is the most important piece of, of all of it. If you think about just how professional athletes train for something, they kind of know the rules of the game. A coach or one of their trainers is not going to just throw 15 players on the field to mess up the quarterback. They're going to make that play over and over and over again until they get it right. They don't throw out 20 different plays and then throw these crazy audibles in there that they're not ready for. They're, they're training for positive patterns. And they continue to do this until they're building these repetitions over and over and over again. And so when we look at, you know, whether it's professional athletes or musicians, they train so that the pattern is correct, and then they can do it in the subconscious brain. And we're really talking about those basic firefighting skills we really want to do of, you know, how to search, how to uh, do a fire attack. We're not talking real complex incidents. We're talking... Those things that we can build really good repetitions of, you know, deploying lines, forcible entry, search, all of those things that we know that are going to happen on, on a fire call. And so that how they train, I think is extremely important. They don't throw things that would never, ever happen in a million years, or maybe that one crazy situation. They're building those repetitions based on high probabilities. So I think that how is really important. You once set up an assessment of how fire departments would approach training evolutions. In this test, you even told the participants that there weren't going to be any tricks. 
yet they still assumed you'd try to fool them with unrealistic setups anyway. Tell me how they did in their responses. Yeah, so the study I did was really kind of started off with studying normalization of deviance. That it's kind of a known safety issue is that the way that our brains work is that we can normalize things very quickly. We want those patterns. And if nothing bad happens, the likelihood is, is that we'll repeat that. And I wanted to see the effects in the fire service of the likelihood that normalization of deviance was happening. So let, let's use the training scenario that we were talking about that if uh, people were taking shortcuts in training saying, well, let's just take a dry line up. You know, we're not going to charge the line because we want to be mission ready in case we get a call and, or we're not going to go on air because we have to go fill up air bottles and it's 15 miles away to go fill them up. So they, they make some shortcuts and they want to do some training, but they may not follow all of what you would really do in real life. So all those little shortcuts can become that muscle memory. What we uncovered, which was interesting because it wasn't something I was really looking at trying to research, but what we did is if there was a mistake, there was an error and we kind of compared them to the five causal factors of firepower fatalities, uh, like improper size up, or if they had a breakdown in communications or accountability, you know, some of the real critical things we know that we've lost firefighters for these reasons, and we know that they're repeated. So we looked at just some of the critical things. We're not looking at tiny little errors that they make here and there. Um, it was some things that could cause uh, huge life safety issues to, to the responders. And so if there were some infraction to the policies or their SOGs or known fire, fire, uh, fire ground tactics, then we would interview them and just ask, you know, so what happened there? And there was no punishment, you know, we're just training and uh, we didn't want them to fear that there was any type of investigation. And, and we would just ask them a, a few questions that would let them be open and candid about it to say, you know, why did they, if you had smoke throughout the entire building, why would they take a dry line if they did not know where the seat of the fire was and just go in without your protection? What we started to see were one, they were training to previous instructor criteria, not to sound fireground tactics. And so they, they would talk about, well, you know, the previous training chief or the tr previous training officer, you know, made sure that we did this and, and they questioned us on this, or they, they really beat us up for, you know, not searching in these particular areas. And they hid, they hid uh, victims in the craziest places. And then we were told that we didn't do a good search. And so what we saw is that in some of the conclusions we could make is that they were training to expectations of an instructor, not the expectations of what we should be doing on the fire ground. So it's like when they talk about teaching to the test, they were training to not be tricked or fooled but that wasn't necessarily the real world. Yeah, that is a great analogy. Truly, you know, studying for the test, not for reality. You know, what's, what's going to happen out there in the real world? And that was a great deal of what we saw was, I think, training to the wrong criteria. And one of the scenarios we saw about the, you know, taking a dry line to the second floor where there was fire on the first floor and second floor, 
it was really interesting because during the interview, they had said, well, the last, the last time we came out and did this, they had stopwatches and that's all they talked about was the length of time it took one company versus the second company versus the third company. And we're comparing times. And so whether or not that that was a, a true intention of the instructors, they, they may have had a purpose for that particular training. But what happened is they put such an emphasis on speed, not about you should probably do this right. If you do it right, you, you're not going to get fooled. You're not going to get tricked. So take a few couple extra seconds, make sure your line's not kinked, make sure that you've opened your nozzle, you got good water flow, all the things that we train in the academy. Well, once they were online and going through some trainings that probably emphasized the wrong thing, started to create the incorrect patterns. The speed was everything and speed is not everything. Uh, doing it right is, is what's important. And so you can see where those started to break down when, when we trained to the wrong criteria. So let me switch tracks for a minute here and ask you, what's recognition-primed decision-making? and How does it fit into fire-around training scenarios? It plays a huge role in, in this, and it's really the basis of everything, uh, of why we train the way we do and looking at how we make decisions. So recognition-primed decision-making is a concept that had uh, started back in the 80s from a psychologist that studied um, military officers and fire officers. And what he uh, uncovered was kind of some of the things we talked about briefly that a lot of the decisions we make, especially those rapid ones, are really in the subconscious. We don't spend a ton of time thinking about it. So much importance is placed on previous experiences. And uh, that's why we kind of look at those patterns and trying to build that muscle memory uh, for that. But what the psychology kind of stated was that your brain is like a giant slide projector. You know, back in the day, we would watch our uh, family vacations on a big slide projector. And he said, that's kind of how the brain works is that there's all those memories that you've ever had are in a big slide deck. And then when you have a new situation, the brain will automatically flip to that deck that is the closest similarity to something you've done before. And this is why humans are such good storytellers. So if you're into fishing and you said, yeah, last weekend I went to this lake and I caught, you know, this, you know, big bass or whatever you're fishing for immediately, whoever you're talking to says, oh man, I fished there too. And, uh, you know, I caught X amount of fish or whatever it is, but that's why we're really good storytellers. Because as soon as someone starts to tell a story, you're thinking immediately of a similar situation that happened to you. And it just pops up automatically, no matter what anyone's talking about, you know, the first time you saw a, a, a bear and everything. Um, and someone, Oh, I saw a bear once. And that's, that's the same thing that's happening co uh, constantly to firefighters is that if you go to a fire uh, two o'clock in the morning, and you don't hear smoke detectors going off. There's a car in the driveway, and it's a manufactured home. Your mind will immediately go back. It doesn't matter how long ago, it'll go back to the closest scenario where all of those signs will come up as priorities. Okay, it's a 
double wide manufactured home. There's a fire. There's no smoke alarm going off. There's a car in the driveway. It's two o'clock in the morning. You can immediately make some assumptions. There's a high chance that someone could be in there. You don't think about it for 20 minutes. It just pops into your brain. It's a very similar thing is a lot of times when I teach about recognition, prime decision-making, I make someone in the class go back to, you know, has anyone ever, you know, hit a large animal with their vehicle, like a deer, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And this happens every time I teach this is that I'll ask them questions. You know, have you ever hit a, a, a deer with your car? What time of the day was it? What kind of car were you driving? What color car were you driving? Where were you going? Was anyone in the car with you or anything significant? And they can narrow it down to the model, the color, who was with them, time of day, and where they were going to or where they were coming from. It's funny. I, I've hit a deer <laughs> and I was just thinking all those things in my head. I could picture the vehicle. It was a Chevy pickup. It was full size. It was red. I know I was headed toward work. It was 15 years ago. Yeah, it can come right back to you, can it? Yeah, it does. That explains a lot about why it's important to train for the real world. Because if that's what you're going to remember, if, that, if that's the way you're going to remember it, then you need to remember the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Because all of that's lying in there. We may not think about that that just like what you were talking about 15 years ago, you don't think about it on a daily basis, but as soon as a situation comes up, maybe that same stretch of road, you would immediately, your main, your brain would want to go back there. Uh, but if I asked you, what did you do last Tuesday? <laughs> you might not really be able to recall it because there was no emotion to it. There was nothing that significantly makes your mind immediately go back there, but it's all there. So that's why that important aspect comes up. And it's, uh, it's really explained in a great book I love. It's, uh, it's by the individual who called it Recognition Prime Decision Making, Gary Klein. He has a lot of books out, but the one that really kind of explains it's called Sources of Power. And it's just really about the psychologist's view on, on how we make decisions. And uh, many call it the naturalistic approach because it naturally happens in the brain. You don't have to train it. It's just the way that the brain works. And so some people, you might be able to hear it you know, used in that frame as well, uh, which is kind of the opposite of kind of rational-based decision-making where you're really taking your time and thinking about it. And those happen more on wildland fires where there's so many factors and there's nothing's the same. And um, you really have to like stop and slow down and force your brain into more of a rational thinking versus the fast response of structure fires or mass casualties all of those where that repetition is really important because you have to make decisions extremely fast. Well, let me take the devil's advocate side for a moment. If we don't train for unusual situations, how will we know what to do when they do arise? Oh, that's a great question. So though, and I'm trying to remember the, the chief's name, but there was a famous quote that someone much smarter than me um, had come up with, and it sounded like this, it, uh, if I can get it correctly, uh, practice the basics flawlessly and prepare for the what ifs. And so those basics and those patterns and those muscle memory uh, slides that we're trying to create are you know, 80 to 90% of being able to just repeat that without too much thought. 
And we have to start there. And it doesn't get you all the way through for all of those anomaly situations, those what ifs, those situations that no one has really seen before. And those are really difficult. Um, But if you mess up on those basics, then everything goes sideways before you even get there. And so you still really have to have all of that basic knowledge and all of that muscle memory up to that point where things kind of go sideways. And one of the best ways, and that's when we have to slow down our brains. And what's really important about understanding when that flips is that what will happen in the brain is that when you don't have a slide that matches close enough to some previous experience. And so uh, let's say a structural fire department, this happened, trying to think it was a really, really big city fire department, doesn't do wildland at all. But with the country burning, they went to help. And uh, one of the individuals said, I had no idea what to do. I just knew what we were doing was wrong. And that was really important for at some point, they realized that they were out of those slides. They didn't have that. You should feel a change of stress, uh, increased anxiety, confusion. A lot of times they call it the fog of war is that now you have your mind's running a hundred miles an hour and it cannot draw a quick conclusion. That's when you have to really slow down, keep your firefighters safe, be able to gain help, ask, get clarifying questions, start getting a better picture of reality, because now we've moved into something where if that scene is something that is so infrequent, or you do not have the experience in that, is that you can still make good decisions. However, you're going to have to really slow down. So when you start to feel that uh, I'm overwhelmed, it's confusing, I'm feeling stress, I'm feeling anxiety, because it's something you've never practiced before. That should cue you in to slow down. And we start to call it decentralized decision-making. And so instead of an incident commander trying to make these calls from somewhere far away or may not have a really good situational awareness, is deferring to those division supervisors, group supervisors, other officers that have a better situational awareness for the areas that they're in and being able to trust them to be able to make those calls so that the incident commander is not completely gridlocked in their brain and not having good situational awareness is that you're going to have to really defer out and trust a lot of those other individuals on scene who can handle problems at their smallest level, at the appropriate level that they're dealing with. But it is something that um, we have to be able to train for as well is practice those basics flawlessly and then work into another training program that has purpose just for that is to be able to give them problems to work through as a team, because it's a completely different system that's working. You just have to make sure that when you do that, it's a safe environment to be able to push them outside of their comfort zone and being able to walk them through the decision-making processes once it gets to a level that they're really struggling with. So let's talk about the right way to do this. What are some rules of thumb for developing exercises that train for the right results? I think one of the most important things there is 
training officers, instructors, you know, training chiefs have to walk in with the right purpose in mind. So if they are training for, you know, your line personnel, your firefighters, uh, engineers, and, uh, you know, lieutenants and captains, you know, your initial attack that you come in with a purpose saying the purpose of this training is to build positive slides in their brain, to build muscle memory, to do it right as many times as they possibly can. And you can throw some small challenges in there as long as they're realistic, as long as they're just not some crazy, um, you know, hiding a baby on top of the roof of the, <laughs> of the house mm. and then reprimanding them for they didn't go up on top of the, the house. Mm. You know, something that is still realistic, but certainly throw them challenges. The fires are challenging enough as it is. You don't have to make stuff up. It, it just naturally occurs. And so let them struggle through those challenges that are realistic, but make sure that they have a purpose for what that training and what those outcomes they're looking for. So if you want to move into that uh, scenario you just gave me, you want to move into now, how do they deal with the unknown? the uncertainty, dealing with incidents that have never happened here before. Um, this is something we do a lot in the wildfire world is that fires are now going 100,000 acres in one day. When I started my career, that did not happen. That was not something we've ever seen. So how do we train people for something that a massive change that we're having to deal with in the fire service now? And walk in with what the outcome of that training is. And if the outcome is to give them scenarios that are realistic. It is happening. We know that those things are happening. So we're not creating some crazy idea. It's uh, We have to train them for something we know is they're, they're going to have in their career. But we also need to support them in how to make decisions when they've never seen anything like that before. And then we're then we actually have a plan for that training to say, um, these are going to be really challenging events and we're going to work together as a team. And we do things like uh, what we call like Sun Tzu factors from the art of war is we ask ourselves, what are things we can control? What are things we cannot control? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And most importantly, what are the knowns and what are the unknowns? And then our job is to turn those unknowns into knowns. I think too often we're so pressured into, we just need to train. We just need to train. We just need to train. Um, we have to make sure that we go in of what are the outcomes of this particular training? I think that's the first step to make sure that we're training for the right reasons, training for the right criteria and getting the outcome that we're looking for. Sounds good. Doug Cup, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. You bet. I had a great time. Thank you so much. I definitely appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get that message out of recognition, prime decision-making and make for better decision makers out there in the world. That's, I think, one of the most important things in today's chaotic environment is uh, we're training for good decision makers. And there's more on the hazards of too much training for the unusual at Code3Podcast.com slash tricks. Hey, if you enjoy Code 3, do me a favor. Tell someone else in the fire service about it. It'll make you look good, and it's the best way to grow the audience. 
Since ideas often come from listeners, that means more new and different topics for everyone to hear about. By the way, if you sent in a topic that you think I should cover in a future show, just email it to scott at code3podcast.com. That's also a good place to send comments about how I'm doing. I'll be looking for your suggestions, so send them along. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.